All right, time for our quarterly update from Attorney General Steve Marshall. We're going to be hitting gambling and a bunch of other things that his office has been dealing with since his last visit. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News and host of this year podcast, where we are in pursuit of a free and flourishing Alabama every single week. Got an incredible episode for you guys today. The Alabama Attorney General Steve Marshall making his quarterly appearance uh, to update you on everything going on in his world. And it's a lot. Uh, lots of synergy going on with a lot of the things that, that we at 1819 News care about, our listeners uh, and followers and readers care about, and the stuff that his office is working on and making tremendous progress. So we want to bring him on uh, every three months or so to give him an update uh, on uh, the effectiveness of what his office is doing on these really, really big fights uh, that matter, uh, that matter to all of us. Uh, and so we're going to be doing that. Um, but, and, and some of those things just to kind of tease it out or, or set the table, um, we're going to be talking gambling, of course, cause that's the biggest thing going on, uh, right now in the state of Alabama. And Steve has been very outspoken, uh, about that. And I'm grateful for his outspokenness. Uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, president Trump's stay application before the United States Supreme court, uh, and what Steve's doing there, uh, updates on the climate cabal and some ESG wins, which is nice to get. Uh, and a number of other things going on in his office. So, um, but I want to tease out also the behind the scenes or overtime segment. Uh, we're going to be talking about the nitrogen hypoxia. Um, that is something that you know I guess we pioneered uh, here in Alabama, and it's it's caused um, a, a big conversation online uh, and social media, and really just amongst people uh, all over the country. Uh, so we will be diving into that, and that was the execution that was done via nitrogen hypoxia. Um, you know, should we do it? Should we not? Should we do it more? Should we use ropes? Should we, you know, whatever we're going to be talking about, um, how to execute people who have been found guilty of capital punishment crimes. So, um, you don't want to miss that. And I will tell you guys, uh, in order to get that, you have to have access to behind the scenes content to get the overtime segment. And in order to do that, you have to become a member and membership start as little as $5 a month. Go to 1819news.com, click the button. Uh, and sign up to become a member. You'll get great uh, merch. Our hats are the the absolute best hats in the entire world. Giant Alabama flag on it. Um, and you will, uh, as I said before, get access to behind the scenes content. But more than anything, you will be supporting honest journalism in your state. Uh, that's the big thing. And you also get hats and access. So there you go. All right. Well, uh, enough of the spiel. And we'll get into what you guys are here for, the content. So Attorney General, Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to come join us once again. Look, I'm already tired, by the way. We haven't even started talking, and you've gone through <laughs> everything that we've been involved with, but always good to be back. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just kind of as I teased out there, I, I think there is, there's so much alignment on what you are doing with the attorney general's office. You're a prosecutor in that role. Uh, oftentimes, I think a lot of the people who end up in that role are popular lawyers, <laughs> And they don't have a, a good feel for what it means to actually prosecute, use the office to do what it is it's supposed to do. Um, since you've been in there, um, you've been doing a phenomenal job of pursuing what I believe is the real issue out there. There's a lot of issues, but there's, to me, it's a, um, it's a spiritual war. It's, um, you, you know, you, I say communism and Marxism and people start thinking about Soviet Russia and it's like, no, 
what is taking place now is this ideology, this you know dark ideology that was in Soviet Russia has now captured all of these institutions in our country, higher education, um, you know, BlackRock and Vanguard that we're going to talk about financial institutions is taking, um, uh, you know, it's taking over the entire Democrat party, uh, and on and on it goes. Um, and it's at war with our way of life, uh, and what our country was founded on. It's an absolute war. Um, and most people don't even know that it's happening. So they're being defeated and other people are capitulating. And what I see you doing in your office is, is, you know, who the enemy is and you're going after it with everything you have. And so yeah. I appreciate that. Well, and thank you. But you know, one thing about sort of the, when I, it's literally almost been, no, just a little over seven years now that I've been in the position. And transparently, when I walked into it, I really thought kind of a super DA. You know, yeah. That's kind of the world I came from. Did not appreciate and grew to now absolutely sort of relish this idea of what it is that we have a chance to do. But if you even meld the civil and the criminal together, yeah. it's really kind of about liberty, right? Yeah. I mean, in, in the sense of criminal justice, we talk about being able to... F- feel safe in your home and in your neighborhood. This idea of being able to live your life freely, which is really what Liberty Interest is about. And then comparatively, the fight that we have on the civil side really does encapsulate many of those same principles when we talk about sort of this dictatorial effort out of the Biden administration through their agency rules and regulations, the whole COVID fight, for example, relating to the vaccines. I mean, they all kind of come to that center point. And so sometimes as AGs, we talk about sort of being the tip of the spear, sure. kind of being the front line. And really that's the the beauty and the joy of the job itself is because I get a chance yeah. to be able to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, there's so much federal overreach uh, taking place and then you standing on the line, um, keeping them at bay. So and by the way, pretty good gig to fight Biden, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it, it, there's, there's much to do. Yeah. And, uh, it's one of the, look, I love my colleagues around the country and it's nice to stand with principal fighters on issues that matter. And the good thing is that we're able to do that really as a collective body. Yeah. And it's one of the unique things that when you see what a Tish James does in weaponizing her office against uh, the, the next president of the United yeah. States, um, you understand the reason why we need to do that yeah. is to be able to stand strong on issues that ultimately matter to the people of our states, but also to do it the right way. Right. When you look at a Tish James doing it the wrong way, to make sure that we're doing it the right way. Yeah. No, I think that's great. So, a um, lot of things to cover. Um, not a ton of time. I wish I had the Joe Rogan three hours, um, but <laughs> then I we don't. would be tired. Yeah. Um, you know, the gambling debacle to me is um, I every year. You know, right before session, there's a big hoopla. Again, this is going to be the year. This is going to be the year. So I kind of I didn't even listen to it this year because I've watched it be the thing, and then it was never a thing because I always say the Cowboys and the Indians can never get on the same page. Um, and just figured that that's what it was going to be again. Well, it, 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 it's a thing, you know, and, um, that was kind of, um, you know, maybe my fault for not, not taking it seriously uh, when I kind of heard the rumblings, uh, and, you know, we saw it get, I mean, pushed through the house, uh, led better, push that through rabie that anyway, that's a whole nother topic we can come back to at the end of it, but, uh, it got ramrodded through the house. I mean, like that instantly. Uh, crazy. Um, it got, I've seen 67, I've seen 70, I think it was 70 to 32 was the vote, 70 votes for, um, don't know how much arm twisting, uh, was done to get that done, but either way, uh, they pushed it through. I think it's going to have a little bit harder time in the Senate. 
but either way, there's so many problems that I see uh, with the gambling legislation. You've been outspoken about it. I want to kind of hear your thoughts, and I'm going to kind of systematically go through what I think the problems are. With yeah, and, and my focus is really in the area of enforcement. Because sure. you know, there's there's others that can share the concerns about gambling as a whole. Yeah. But from the the chair that I sit in, on the enforcement piece. Let's number one, don't argue that we need to pass and legalize soup to nuts in gambling because that's yeah. what we're talking about here, and particularly the casino side. That we need to do that in order to be able to have effective enforcement. Yeah. Let's use Jefferson County as a perfect example. Mike Hale was the former sheriff here in this county. We had no gambling. We had no of these facilities that had piped up over the course of the last several years because he said, I'm going to do my job and I'm going to enforce the law. We had a change in the administration. And what have we seen? When there's a public statement that really don't care about gambling that much, we're not going to use our resources to be able to do it. We sent a signal that says it's open business now. And so when the legislature points to Jefferson County as problematic, that's an issue of being able to, to have law enforcement do their job, which they're supposed to do. We don't pick yeah. winners and losers. We do our job. Yeah. And in those situations around the state where we've had similar sort of pulling back from responsibilities, those are the areas in which gambling has shown up. But in the majority of the counties in Alabama where folks are doing their job, we don't see it there. Yeah. And so so let's don't use enforcement as the authorization to do it. The other thing that, that, that I've said is let's make their consequences for bad behavior be equivalent to the crime that, that allows we attribute to it. If we're going to say it's only a misdemeanor, then we're not sending us right message. Yeah. One of the things that during my tenure, we shut down multiple places, including one out of Huntsville. And we were interviewing one of the individuals that was connected to that, who was actually served time in federal prison, former drug trafficking charge. And in the course of the interview, they asked him, well, why are you connected here? He didn't run the operation, but he was connected to it. And he said, well, I can make the same amount of money selling dope and I might end up 15 years sitting in a federal prison in Montana or the worst I can face in Alabama is a misdemeanor crime. What do you think I'm going to do? Yeah. I mean, that is exactly what we've been trying to say is if enforcement matters and I'll take the people at their word that it does, then let's deal with an enforcement piece and see what we're able to accomplish with that. So you can pass legislation that would make the punishment more severe without Building casinos? That's what you're telling me? Absolutely. That's weird because it's so tied together. I didn't think that those two could be separated. (laughs) And look, we don't have to create an independent body that's not accountable to anyone that then has their own independent law enforcement agency. You know, we can create and give resources to allow people to be able to do that. And um, and look, the other thing that, that candidly, we've had people that have blatantly disregarded the law. We yeah. shut down facilities more than one occasion and they come back doing something different. And yet when we identify the locations in which these casinos are going, they are placing them in the very same locations where that's been going on for quite some time. We are rewarding those right. who have thumbed their nose to the laws of the state. And it goes back long before me, goes back to even before Governor Riley's time. Yeah. And, and truly, if, if you're in a business model, are you going to say that I really think that we're going to bring people to the state of Alabama if we put the casinos in certain locations that don't have anything else to sure. attract people there? And that make business sense. Yeah. Again, it's a uh, rewarding of certain special interests that I think is absolutely wrong. And we're continuing to talk to people around. I think there's people listening in the Senate, and I'm encouraged by that. Yeah. Um, but yet there's still work to be done. Yeah. 
No, it's uh, it's infuriating to watch. Um, so I, I I think I mean, so you've got a Raby McCutcheon, Raby Ledbetter since Hubbard. Okay, so just set that up. That's what that's what we've had. Raby's been there with McCutcheon. Raby was there is there with with Ledbetter. We've gotten gas tax increase, marijuana, now gambling, and then Medicaid expansion is what they want next. Republican supermajority, and that's what that's what our priorities are. Weed, gambling, <laughs> gas tax. It's insane that this is that this is what we're doing with this Republican supermajority. We should be leading the country in all conservative legislation. We should be pioneering things. People should be looking to us. Instead, we're like, you know, three years after the most Democrat people out there doing Democrat things, um, not not conservative things. So very, very crazy. I think the other thing um, to keep an eye on, because I don't even get into the, the morals and the how bad it is and, and the crime that it creates like that I, we, those need to be, but I think those have been talked about right. quite a bit in the last decade or so creating a Democrat, get out the vote effort by putting this on the ballot in November, November when you have the swing of the, you know, the United States house majority is going to be up in the air and we have a chance to win a majority minority after that horrible um, gerrymandering debacle that we went through where the special master comes in and says, this is racist. So we're going to make it more racist. Right. And gives us a second, uh, majority minority district. Well, Brubaker or Caroline Dobson or one of these people, um, could win that, but you put gambling on the ballot or casinos or lottery or whatever, you are going to see Democrats come out like never before. We're going to lose that seat. And that could actually put the balance. So imagine if Trump wins, Trump could have the House and the Senate potentially. What if he lost the, the the House majority because we wanted to push gambling and lottery through? Insane. Yeah, and we do have local races too yeah, that, 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 are that, that could be driven by. And I've I've definitely heard that from members of the Senate. I know that's something that many of them are looking at. And frankly, from what I've heard from several, that in and of itself is a reason for a no vote. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, historically, uh, go back 20, 30 years or whatever, um, Paul Hubbard, Joe Reed, and the AEA ran the state. They were the absolute powerhouse that ran everything. That was killed. They made it to where AEA dues had to be paid voluntarily rather than pulled out of the paycheck. That kind of killed the AEA as we knew it. And, and the BCA kind of started to fill that power vacuum, it looks like, with some of the big corporations or whatever, you know, like it, don't like it, whatever. That That's kind of what's happened. What I see happening now, if this passes, we're going to have like the mafia and, the you know, and a bunch of gambling people who are going to fill that power vacuum and we think the AAA was bad. You think the BCA was bad? Wait until these people um, assume that level of power. People ought to make some calls to Mississippi and ask that question. Yeah. How's that working out? Yeah. Yep. Um, obviously, you covered government picking um, winners and losers, but I do think that that is um, anytime that's happening. And then specifically, the winners that they're picking are the people who've been thumbing their nose at the law for the last 20 or 30 years. So, And then you know, the other thing, and I think Senator Elliott kind of pointing this out recently. Remember, it's two bills that they're looking at. One's a constitutional amendment, which is really just sort of allowing for the gambling to be able to take place. The enabling legislation is not something that the people are going to vote on. That's actually going to be in play, but that can be amended at any time. Yeah. And so while they may be saying now that there could be a limit of a certain number of casinos, that's not necessarily applicable for yeah. the future. And it doesn't control what may go on down the road. And, and the other, look... I continue to hear many in the legislature talk about these unaccountable boards yeah. that aren't responsive to the public or to any elected official. Well, we're creating the mother of all those boards yeah. with this gambling commission. Mm. 
Crazy. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I guess um, we'll see what happens in the Senate. I feel feel good about it not you know getting out of the Senate, and then obviously then the people will have a chance to vote uh, if it does get passed in November. <laughs> and the problem is that that I've seen there, you know, from watching this for nowhere near as long as you've been watching it, but. You know, these gambling interests spend, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on commercials, pumping them into people's homes where they're like, Becky got to go to college because of the lottery. You should have lottery so your Becky can go to college or what. And they do that and they don't say that that lottery is connected to full blown casinos and gambling and everything else. It's just lottery, lottery, education, lottery, education, lottery, education, lottery. That's all they see. And then they're going to go to that constitutional amendment and it's going to say education lottery. It's not going to say casinos and sex trafficking, right? That's not what it's going to say. It's going to say education lottery with Yeah, and that's what I've seen in the text messages that have come to my phone. Yeah. Is your legislator standing between you and voting for a lottery? Yeah. Well, last thing I'll say, too, uh, was really interesting. Uh, Dale Jackson, God bless him, um, bringing Blackshear on his radio show and just watching those two go out, it was fantastic. But it basically ended with, you know, so, uh, you know, would you be for a casino being in, in Phoenix City, which is an interesting question because of their history. The history, yeah. Um, and he's like, well, no, I don't think that would be appropriate because of the history, da, 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 da. And then Dale's like, well, see, there it is. You don't want a casino where you live, but you're going to, you know, do this. And, and, and you're creating legislation that's going to allow this for other people, but you're not even okay with it where you live. Yeah. You know, sometimes I wonder if Alabamians remember the the history of Albert Patterson, yeah, you know, which is for those that don't know, was elected the attorney general in Alabama on a platform of fighting corruption, particularly in Phoenix city and yep. lost his life as yep. a result of that. That's why his son, John Patterson became the attorney general, but in our office uh, is still a picture of his tombstone because mm-hmm. it's a reminder for somebody like me of a man that was willing to fight the right fight. When you walk into ours, the first thing you see on the wall is a thing of Albert Patterson with his story underneath it. So, it's a great story, and people yep. don't talk about it enough. Yep. A uh, man willing to die to stop the corruption. So it's pretty incredible. All right. Well, I could talk about gambling for an hour. Uh, we're not going to do that, um, and you're all going to thank me for not doing that. And so um, you led an amicus, an amicus supporting President Trump's stay application before SCOTUS. Talk about that. Yeah. So everybody's familiar with Jack Smith, the special prosecutor that was appointed. Yeah. 30 months it took uh, the special prosecutor to bring the charges in the D.C. Circuit against President Trump relating to January 6th. And now suddenly there's amazing urgency to be able to prosecute him in March. President, rightfully so, has the opportunity to present certain defenses uniquely the first time in American history that we would be prosecuting a president, uh, and one is of immunity. And yeah. it's an interesting constitutional question. You're talking about hours we could talk about yeah. that. But he's entitled to have that fully vetted by the appellate courts to understand the strategy that he would have in defending himself in that case. What's interesting is when the president first brought that to the district court, when they denied that, he appealed, as any litigant does, to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Jack Smith said that's not good enough. We want to take it immediately to the Supreme Court when there is absolutely limited, if not minimal, precedent for basically leapfrogging a court of appeals and going directly to the United States Supreme Court. And uh, fortunately, the Supreme Court rejected the effort to be able to do it then. And now uh, the president is seeking that same review as normal litigants would in front of the Supreme Court once he's been denied by the D.C. Circuit. Um That's, again, not worthy of Jack Smith's time. He believes we need to make sure that we try this president as soon as as possible. And we know why. I mean, there's no secret to what's going on here. When you combine 
the efforts of Jack Smith to prosecute him on this case, what they're doing to him relating to the presidential records when we saw, by the way, the difference in the treatment of President Biden. Um, and then you look at sort of the weaponization of the New York state courts against him. This is a democratic effort to be able to influence this election because their candidate can't win. Yeah. And so what we simply did with 22 states total on the brief is to tell the Supreme Court, stay the criminal trial until you have a chance to fully vet the issue that, that is coming before him. Don't treat him any differently than you would anybody else, but he has a right to have this issue decided. And it's unique in that it's never been one that has been uh, fully analyzed by the court because it's just simply never been there before. Um, it's not saying that Jack Smith doesn't have the authority to proceed. It's that we don't need to somehow or another put it uh, in overdrive to allow that trial to take place before the appellate courts have a chance to be able to weigh in. And we'll see what the court uh, is going to do with it. They may decide, look, uh, we're not going to decide that issue now. We can decide it later. I don't think that's the judicious thing because I think we really ought to decide whether he has a chance to present that to the D.C. trial court when they finally have this case. Um, but yet it's it's a broader effort uh, by the Democratic Party to be able to solicit efforts for, for Joe Biden to win. And, and, and again, we're on the right side of this issue and, and think that the court will understand the reason for the stay. Yeah. How crazy. Um, I mean, so where do we even go on this? So we see Trump. So this is my theory is that Trump was such a disruptor. He was never supposed to be the president. He was never supposed to beat Hillary. He did. And he began to expose how corrupt and rotten to the core everything was. And they needed to get rid of him. I'm of the mind that COVID being released, you know, uh, was, was part of their ploy to make sure that he didn't win. If they're willing to unleash a virus that kills millions of people and shuts down the entire planet, to keep someone out of office, what are they going to be willing to do this time? And I think we're going to see the craziest next, what is it now, February, um, you know, nine months, eight months, really about eight and a half months from today. We're going to see the craziest. I mean, because 2020 was crazy. That right. was the craziest thing we'd ever seen in our lives at that point. I think we're about to see it. I mean, you know, from Trump getting arrested and his mugshot and, and the thing is, though, and, it, and it's Alinsky's rule, which is what's interesting, that that every time they come after Trump, it makes Trump stronger. Like, and Saul right. Alinsky knew that, and that's right. like, so this is somehow more anyway. But um, it's just, it's interesting, and to, to see efforts like this, you know, um, with the prosecution, to see, you know, Colorado trying to kick him off the ballot, right. what's going on in New York— I mean, they're, they're strengthening him, but at the same time, it shows their desperation to keep him out of office. And it scares me. You've, you've even seen Tucker Carlson talk about, um, you know, um, you know, the, I think it was Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as well, that they really only have one strategy left and that's to do what they did to JFK and to Robert Kennedy's dad. Right. And so it's, I don't know, it's, it's not scary. Like oh, I'm sitting scared at, at home, but if you, if you look at what's going on since 2019 to today, it's very sobering the world that we're living in and, and what we're watching. Well, and it just and as somebody who spent his entire world in the in the legal field, sure. When I look at what took place in New York State, you had my colleague Tish James running the first time, saying, "I am going to go after Donald Trump." Yeah, I mean, as a campaign promise, I am going to target this individual and go after him. Mm. Last I checked, 
particularly prosecutors are supposed to follow facts, not follow people. Yeah. I don't get to identify who's a bad person and I'm just going to figure out yeah. how I can go after him until yeah. I finally get there. But that's what she said. She uses the resources of her office, not with a criminal prosecution, but a civil action, civil fraud action, where, by the way, no one has been harmed. Nobody's been harmed. Yeah. They go through with a trial with a judge who was appointed by the Democratic hierarchy there who said, before he ever considers the case that Trump's a bad guy. Yeah. Impartial judge that's a fact finder, by the way, not a jury, yeah. but a judge that's a fact finder saying he's a bad guy. So he's obviously going to give him a fair trial. Yeah. And then when we see a, a civil penalty that far exceeds anything in the world of reason for which they claim that he did wrong, you have then the New York governor have to come out to other businesses and go, oh, by the way, it's okay. Yeah. You can do business in, in New York. We're, we're a good state. This was really about Donald Trump. Yeah. Well, it wasn't just about Donald Trump. Let's look at what happened at the NRA too, right? I mean, they didn't like the fact that we have that organization housed in the state of New York because they don't like the fact that it stands for the Second Amendment. And so they use everything they can to weaponize, again, the civil law to be able to punish that organization. Yeah. So what does that tell you if you're a conservative in the state of New York, and particularly a conservative in New York City? They're going to come after you. Yeah. And that's not right, and it's completely wrong. But again, it's all reflective on what is going on in that orbit that right now surrounds this current presidential election and the efforts to try to delegitimize Donald Trump as a candidate. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Weaponization. That is a, a scary thing. And then the distrust that that creates in the institutions and humanity, it's baked into our DNA to have these institutions and to look to these things for security and for normalcy. Uh, but when all of these institutions that you've trusted your entire life have been completely, you know, infected and weaponized, it's like chaos can only ensue from this, right? If, if, if there's not like some type of reigning in that happens very soon. All right. Um, the climate cabal, um, you know, talking uh, BlackRock, Vanguard, J.P. Morgan, State Street, uh, all of these companies using massive, um, you know, sums of capital uh, to to control, um, you know, pick winners and losers, to control who gets money, who doesn't. Uh, it is um, the Chinese social credit system essentially being used by you know private equity entities. Um, so, but it, but there's been some positive trends. It looks like. Uh, with folks dropping out of the Climate Action 100. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, I've heard you talk about on the podcast before about wearing the tin hat uh, yeah. conspiracy. And, and this is one, you know, we talk about the United Nations influence, yeah. right? This is one that is generated, instigated, and planned by the United Nations all yeah. around climate change. Yep. And so Climate Action 100 Plus came about from multiple world meetings to gather together institutions around this idea of, ultimately coming up with a standard relating to carbon emissions that no government has regulated nor anybody has said is uh, appropriate. But yet we had many institutions, particularly those that you have named, become a part of, of an effort that is going to collaborate and collude, none of which is good under what we call the antitrust laws of this country, to come up with a certain resolution, which is denying capital to certain businesses or certain groups or certain individuals that they don't like can be around climate change, for example, to fight the fossil fuel industry, can fight what our power companies are trying to do to make sure that we have reliable, affordable power, 
But even institutions from a nonprofit side that don't stand for principles that they don't believe in, for example, the debanking of a religious liberty nonprofit in New York because they wouldn't disclose who their donors were and simply didn't like the positions that they were going to take. And so all of that obviously coming to fruition around the concept of ESG that you and I have talked about a little bit on the show before, um, but is, is weaponizing capital to accomplish what can't occur at the ballot box. And so when my colleagues and I have really sort of grappled with this issue over the last several years about what's our role, what's our function, and particularly around consumer protection and antitrust, we've been pretty actively engaged in not only the investigative side, but also in sending out letters to certain institutions to be able to say, we believe that you have liability concerns here. We're asking for records, but also putting you on notice about where you stand. And BlackRock being one of those that suddenly is enlightened. Larry Fink yeah. doesn't want to use the term ESG anymore, right? Okay, you know, which term. which he was very vocal about yeah. in many of his international conferences. But now even seeing uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, which yeah. was one of those institutions that uh, we were concerned about debanking of religious liberty institutions or organizations, uh, is now said that they're not going to be a part of the Climate Action 100 Plus agenda. That is all positive. Yeah. Although I would tell you, you know, and I'll use a little bit of an analogy. You know, we were able to sort of attack um, human trafficking because there was the website Backpage that was up and we used Backpage resources that we could find available to know where some people were advertising for the human uh, trafficking trade. Well, we were able to shut that down. And so it was almost like we saw all the cockroaches scatter. And so to some extent, the worry now is – We've been effective in changing the narrative, but are we simply allowing them to go deeper into the institutions and maybe it's going to be a little bit harder to track? I think we've made progress and I'm encouraged by that. You know, there was, you know, there's these um, zero um, financial advisor groups, zero uh, or net zero financial uh, institution groups, net zero uh, insurance groups. And we've been able to sort of attack those individually um, made many, significant progress on the insurance side of sure. folks that have pulled out of those. I think the question that we're all looking at to see is where do they coalesce around next? Are they going to call yeah. it something different, use a different name? But one of the things that, that we have seen is we saw many of these groups, State Street, BlackRock, Vanguard, using their shareholder power to be able to vote in favor of certain um, left-leaning shareholder initiatives that were, number one, not good for the the institution in which they were offered for that business, but also directly uh, pushing the agenda that 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 group had. And they were voting their shares very much lockstep with those those groups, despite the fact, by the way, they'd vote against them when it would come up in their own shareholder meetings, which is not the least bit ironic. But Mm -hmm. I think we've seen a diminished number of those as well. Because one of the things that we also are dealing with, and people don't, I didn't know enough about proxy advisors before, but we've seen, you know, a disproportionate amount of influence proxy advisors have had in these particular shareholder fights. And so uh, I think there's very much positive change here, but we don't need to rest on our laurels. You know, I went, testified in front of uh, Congress last year relating to this issue and what AGs are doing, and uh, was accused of being anti-free market. Mm, and uh, I found I found that to be quite <laughs> ironic that my Democratic friends were embracing free market principles to be able to say, you know, you're not doing what you need to do here. Obviously, that's a fallacy and it's wrong. 
Um, but it is going to continue to be, and it's actually part of our consumer protection role right now, is investigating some of these matters, particularly around um, antitrust uh, in, in the collusion among multiple businesses that are otherwise competitors to be able to push back on what's going on. Yeah. I feel like to some degree in these fights, it's like we're fighting a hydra. Like you cut off one head and then like four more appear. Like and you're talking about like, okay, we're finally getting some wins here. Does that mean it's going to like, you know, kind of root itself even more into the institutions and make it harder to find or will pop back up in another way? You get a good example. Greg Phillips and Catherine Engelbrecht had a huge win in Georgia where they beat Stacey Abrams, 12 Department of Justice attorneys, like five of I forget Stacey Abrams, the name of her group, but it was basically how they did what they did in Georgia was with Stacey Abrams in this group funded by the Ford Foundation, all this other stuff. Um, they won. Stacey Abrams is shutting that organization down now. She's because she can't operate and you know, it's been exposed what mm -hmm. she's doing. She's just going to pop it with another organization, you know, three months from now funded by the Soros and Ford foundation, everything else and, and doing it again. So it's like, we get a victory and it's a huge victory. Uh, but then you see, you know, how they, they, they pop back up again. And so, anyway. and by the way, and, and you can, you can see and be able to trace that foundation money among multiple sources to see them attend, to accomplish their agenda. Yeah. And, you know, for example, one of the things that we've been looking at is investigating Morningstar and their anti-Israeli bias. Yeah. And to some extent, you begin to trace money from certain institutions that have certain principles that they claim are a part of their foundation, and you begin to see how it is they've decided to advance their agenda. And it's really through many of these nonprofits and the work that they do. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. All right. Um so this one, I I mean, we did an article on it at 1819 News, and it's one of the most disturbing things I think I may have ever read on our site is about... That's saying something, by the yeah, way. Yeah, no, and there's some disturbing stuff yeah. every day on our site. Yeah. Um, but this one, because of the, the AI technology and what that can do with child pornography um, and the deep fake um, thing, I actually uh, was subjected to um, some weird deep fake pictures throughout the whole... Um, Bubba Copeland situation that was interesting that's when I first began to understand what was possible but then you move that into the child pornography uh, space and uh, some legislation that, that may be coming up talk about that, that that would prevent that in Alabama yeah and it's one of those things that everybody ought to unite around this I yeah. mean obviously child pornography is is horrific you know yeah. was, yesterday I was speaking to a, a group of law enforcement in Dothan that deal with sort of the emotional trauma that goes along with being in law enforcement, sort of the yeah. need for peer support to support one another's and was sharing with them, um, you know, handling child pornography cases as a prosecutor, just stuff you can't unsee. Yeah. It's what you have to do to be able to prosecute the case, but it is incredibly disturbing. And again, we all ought to unite around that. And now when we see the use of technology to advance that through AI, you know, it's even more disturbing. And let's remember, these aren't cartoon pictures. Sure. You know, for AI, they are using real images. Yeah. And we're already beginning to see the use of AI in our state to create child pornography. And while our statute itself gave us the ability to do much, we still had to make sure that we have the ability to deal with all of it and to make sure that we're dealing with it correctly. Really pleased to know that that is already getting its reading on the on the House floor, and, and we'll see some... So moving, I think, on that uh, here in the very near future. But, I mean, who would have believed that we would have had to have done this several years ago? And it's, you know, look, we could probably spend a little time talking about AI and what that looks like for us in the future and what is the role. We've we've sort of struggled with this as AGs. What, what's our role in dealing with this moving forward? Yeah. Um, but this is one that, that shouldn't be even questionable. And, right. and I do 
appreciate the leadership of our bill sponsors on this because it's it's critically important. But we're already receiving stories. I was talking to a mama on the phone from the Black Belt whose daughter was a victim of, of one of these things. And it's not just using, you know, a Photoshop, for example, which is yeah. kind of the what I thought about initially, but literally using AI to be that generator um, and um, just horrific images. It is. Yeah. And again, in my heart of hearts, I wish we could connect the nitrogen hypoxia story <laughs> to that bill, but I'll leave it at that. So I always get everybody on trouble when they come on my podcast. I'm going to try not to do that anymore. Um, the Carly Russell bill, uh, I think we mentioned uh, today that that was passed out of committee. So it's uh, making um, making some progress. Our Carly Russell bill. So talk about um, talk about that. Yeah, first of all, I appreciate April Weaver for leading yeah. the charge on that. But I mean, everybody knows that story. I mean, yeah. right? It captivated you know, not only Alabama, but frankly, the nation for a while. And what I think is most troubling about the circumstances of that case, I need to be careful because it's still pending. Um, but it played upon the goodwill of the people of our yeah. of our state because you saw not just law enforcement and uh, look, credit to Chief Durgis and the team at Hoover Police Department because they were all in. Yeah. Um, but you had countless nonprofits coming together churches, groups. You saw Anaya Blanchard's mom, who's dealt with her own trauma as a result of Anaya's murder, trying to help find Carly for yeah. her family. And then we understand it's all a hoax. Now, yeah. again, we've got to prove that in the criminal case. It's pending. But going back a little bit to that gambling discussion we had before about enforcement, I think everybody sort of was a little bit taken aback when they figured out that the, the most serious offense you could charge was one that was just simply a misdemeanor. Yeah. And uh, when you look at the resources that were spent, sure. And again, the the really the the duping of the entire community that was involved and concerned about her, it needed to be more. And I think April's put together a bill that's limited to raising it to a felony when there's imminent danger to the person or to people. Um, it just needed to be done. And so I think we've got significant support for that as well. Yeah. I believe that'll go forward. But just one that, that sadly, it's the circumstances that illustrate the need. But I think everybody seems to agree that, that this was significant enough that it needs to be charged with more than a misdemeanor. Yeah. And one thing that did come out of it, though, was watching the response, like as, as much not hope as we get looking around sometimes, right, and discouraging as it can be with our culture and the decadence and the degradation um, when you do see that situation, the way that all these people did come around her, it's sad that it was through manipulation, but to me, it was encouraging to see that we still live in a society where if your kid gets kidnapped or something like that happens, that the entire community is going to swarm and surround and, and help. It's just obviously terrible. Yeah. That but, that's what it was. But you know, can we take this out a little bit better? Sure. Despite the narrative that, uh, certain institutions want to promulgate about our state, we are a remarkably charitable state yep. who work well with one another, that enjoy one another. And, and it doesn't matter race, gender, what have you. We gather together re regarding unified things. And look, I'm always amazed at the charitable nature of the people of Alabama yep. and their goodwill and their sense of wanting to support one another. But yet you have certain people that thrive on dividing us. Yeah that somehow or another want to criticize our state for isolated events 
that they want to paint a broad brush over who we yeah. are. And that's not who the people of Alabama are. And uniquely, I think as a statewide official, I get a chance to be able to see that. Yeah. You know, the other thing is kind of weird about me is that I'm from South Alabama down, you know, sort of the Atmore Mobile area. I've lived in Montgomery, I've lived in Birmingham, and I've lived in North Alabama. This is a great state. Yeah. And in some ways for a guy that was born here, went to first grade, and then I left. My dad, we traveled all over the South yeah. uh, with his job. And when it came to finishing up college at the University of North Carolina, there was just in me this idea, I want to go home. Yeah. I want to come back to Alabama and I want to be a part of what Alabama is going to be in the future. Yeah. And I care desperately about where we go and what we do in the state. And to some extent, the criticism that we face that sometimes echoes very loudly because of the people that are promulgating those ideas does not represent the people that I know and that I see every day in the work Amen. that I do. Yeah, no, I completely agree. As someone who's not from Alabama and chooses to live here, um, I think that we have we have the you could think of it as kindling that will be like a, a fire of potential. Um, there's so much good here uh, that can be built on that. That I came from Colorado. That that you know, Colorado is a great place. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed it. That's where I was born. But um, it's got it does not have. I call it like having good bones. Like it doesn't have that foundation, that moral foundation, the cultural foundation, um, the roots that, that this state has that that is all rooted really in Christianity. Um, that, that gives the state such tremendous potential. And I love to tell one of our things is we inform, we investigate, we celebrate, we inform the people of Alabama about what's going on, why it matters. We investigate corruption. It's one of the most politically corrupt states. So it's a target rich environment, but as much informing and, and investigating as we're doing, which is, you know, rooting out the bad things, you have to weed your garden. Um, we also want to make sure that we're celebrating the things that are good, true and beautiful about the state, because there's so many incredible entrepreneurs and ministries and people and, heroes from Bear Bryant and Helen Keller and everything in between. There's so much good about this state. And I feel like if you have an informed populace that's proud of their place, they're going to fight for it. If they have the information they need and they love where they live, you're going to see like what happened in Prattville where that, that was the first library board that was exposed for what was right. going on with that stuff that was going on in the libraries. They're all gone. Every single library board member that was a, a Marxist lesbian that was putting pornography in the children's section, they're all gone and you've got a redneck who's running it now, like an awesome guy, right? That runs his Ray Bowles is the, he runs a carpet thing and is a sponsor on blue water broadcasting. Right. So the, the sponsors, Joey Clark show, right. that's who's running it now. Right. Because the people were informed and they love their community. And so they got involved and that's to me is the best. And that's what so, we're supposed to do. Right. That's it. That's yeah. Good stuff. Um, all right. So Sorry now we're getting on that soapbox. No, I love, I'm a soapbox kind of guy. And so um, we'll we'll wrap up the regular podcast with this. I think this is incredibly important. It was a it was a huge win uh, that we got a few years ago when it went through, which is the VCAP legislation. Um, then it got tied up in the court system, like everything good always does. Uh, but there's some good news there. You want to tell us about what is the VCAP legislation, and then what is the update? Yeah, we have turned the tide. You know, for quite some time. And for those that don't recall, this is the bill that would say that for. Uh, those that are minors, we're not going to use off-label medication to somehow or another change your gender, and we clearly are not going to uh, engage in surgeries sure. to change your gender during your period of your minor life. And and great criticism yeah. against Alabama for passing that law, despite the fact that Europe had already said, this is a bad idea, that this is a failed experiment, and we are moving our practices away. 
And what we saw to begin with, including in Alabama, is that we were losing these cases in court. Uh, and we just knew that to some extent that what we had to do is to better educate, number one, the populace as a whole about why this was important. Yeah. And, and honestly, the sort of the coalescing around the left's push to have boys participate in girls' sports yeah. was, helped us in that narrative a little bit. Um, but what we've seen when other states like Texas and Tennessee and Kentucky and Florida begin passing laws, it suddenly, well, Alabama's not really just alone in this. And maybe this is something we need to look at. You know, there's an interesting phrase for for trial lawyers that, that says that facts are stubborn things. Mm -hmm. And this is one where the facts are truly on our side. When we're yeah. able to demonstrate the collusive nature among many of these uh, very much radical medical associations that are pushing a gender ideology agenda at the expense of kids, yeah. by the way, when you have an administration that is clearly aligned in that same world with an Admiral Levine, who is a proponent of this and in a position of authority. Uh, Dude and address. Uh, yeah. Just throwing that out there. Dude yeah. and address. <laughs> and, um, you know, uniquely, and again, I don't, you saw the story of the State Department issuing a, a cable to, to their department about gender ideology best practices. Let's don't say, you know, moms and dads or boys and girls. That, that, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, what's wrong with that? Which, yeah. Anyway, and so what we've seen, man, I'm, I really am going off topic. No, <laughs> you're good. Uh, that, that courts have begun to embrace what we've said. And we saw Judge Sutton out of the Sixth Circuit, who is a remarkable jurist, get it. Yeah. Kind of the, the legal hook that we were, we were arguing about why. And uh, that began the cascading winds that we began to see for Tennessee, for Kentucky, uh, what we were able to get here in Alabama with the 11th Circuit, removing the injunction that, that was placed um, before so that we finally had UAB to have to say, nope, okay, we can't do it now, which is yeah. obviously a really good thing. Yeah, because they and, were chomping at the bit to do it. And we've just led a, a, a brief, or will lead a brief for the state of Idaho that is going to the Supreme Court to That's similarly awesome. get another injunction. And so the unique thing, I think, is we're beginning to see what's really going on here. And the, and the thing that sort of... Um, and I'm excited because, and I've told you this before, 1819 is the only institution covering this. Yep. Nobody else would right. be in these hearings to talk about it. And don't forget about the over-the-top efforts of the Department of Justice going after people like Eagle Forum, right, yeah. with subpoenas. And, and we won that, but we wouldn't have won it if people weren't focused on what yeah. the Department of Justice was doing and caused them to go, oh, my bad. Just kidding. Sorry, yeah, I didn't, yeah. really didn't mean to do that. Don't find yeah. me. Um, but... What will take place in our trial uh, later this year will be the ability to expose in a way that, that people have not seen before. Unfortunately, it's under a protective order. I can't talk about it, sure. but it's going to be things that I think will educate the public in a way they didn't know before and frankly scare us yeah. about what is going on to develop what are so-called best practices, which are developed by an organization that suppresses dissent and otherwise is colluding with organizations that don't want to deal with evidence-based studies. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited about what our team's doing. And, and by the way, I've got a bunch of warriors at my office working on this. Mm -hmm. And I won't say their name publicly because I don't want them to somehow another get, you know, get hammered. Doxed. Right? <laughs> Been there. But uh, I, I'm just so proud of our team. And you know, I talked earlier about coordinating with AGs across the country, and you know, we we all try to develop some expertise that we can be able to share. 
This is one I said Alabama's going to lead. It's that important that we protect kids in this country, and we're going to devote the resources it takes to make sure that we can do our job. And really... Uh, you know, when I've said this since we very first met, you're you're the only person in a in a statewide position that is causing us to really lead. There's some good stuff happening, like Wes Allen's doing some good stuff with Avid. I think um, Will's doing good stuff. You know, but but this idea that Alabama should be a leader on these issues, specifically these type of issues, um, where we're actually leading rather than like you look at constitutional carry took, you know, 30 years to pass or something mm-hmm. like, or we were the 30th state and it took 14 years to pass. That's not leading on conservative issues. Um, this is leading, right? We're out front leading and that's where Alabama should be. And so really, really appreciate uh, the work you guys. No, and I mean, if we can't stand up for kids, who can we stand up for? Yeah. And so that's one of the privileges I get. Yeah. Good stuff. Awesome. Well, that'll uh, wrap up uh, the regular episode Um, We're going to be talking death penalty and different ways to do that, starting with nitrogen hypoxia in the overtime segment. Make sure you guys uh, go there uh, and sign up to become a member if you haven't already so that you have access to that. Attorney General Steve Marshall, thank you. Always good to be here. Thank you. Awesome. All right, guys, until next time, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry.